but where my life really changed was when I went and did my first internship with the Indianapolis Colts. I sat in that room every day with Peyton Manning, and that did it for me. That was transformation. When was this? 2010. Hmm. I knew at that point I just want to coach in the NFL. We just got to figure out how long it's going to take for me to get back. From sitting in film sessions with Peyton Manning, we have a man who can give you the ability to read a defense like the great Peyton Manning on your fingertips. This is Adashina Koike, and you're listening to the A Lot of Sports Talk podcast, episode number 39 in your ears right now. And we want to get to our guests as soon as possible because these are two wonderful interviews that we just did for this show. But first, of course... We have to introduce our two guests, and we'll do that right now. The man whose voice you heard at the very top of this show, his name is John Tomlinson. He has been a football coach for a quarter century, and in the past 20 years, he has coached exclusively the quarterback position. And this summer, he created and released an app called the Quarterback Equalizer. It's an app that you can get in the Apple Store and on Google Play. It is an app, an interactive game, where you have the ability to learn how to read defenses and make the right decisions after reading a defense in a split second. So if you are a quarterback at whatever level, high school, college, pro, or you're a person who loves football so much that you think that you have the mind of a quarterback, that this might be the app for you. So John Tomlinson, who has coached at the top level of the sport, of course, I mentioned he coached alongside uh, Peyton Manning of the Indianapolis Colts. He also coached with the Cleveland Browns and also with the Oakland Raiders. So we caught him right before he went out to the West Coast to join the Oakland Raiders for their training camp. We sat down with him and talked all things about the app that he created, the Quarterback Equalizer, which is meant to improve the quarterback's ability to diagnose a defense and do so in a split second to make sure you make the right decisions on the football field. It is like uh, Madden. That game franchise by EA Sports, but you may very well have as much, if not more, fun playing this game. It is all through the mind and the helmet of a quarterback, uh, just for a few small purchases, and you will be able to download all of the defenses that any defense can throw at you and how to read it and how to beat it. You may very well change the way you watch the game of football on television or live at a football game. So John Tomlinson is our first guest, and it's actually part one of a two-part interview. The second part of this interview with John Tomlinson will be on our next podcast episode number 40. So our main interview here in this podcast episode number 39 is John Tomlinson. Our other main interview is with one of the premier tennis hosts in the country and the world, Blair Henley. We got a chance to catch up with her on the last day of the 2019 U.S. Open and talked all things about one of the more exciting U.S. Opens ever played 
in the open era. We got a chance to talk about Bianca Andrescu of Canada, the teenager who won the women's singles tournament. We talked about uh, Daniil Medvedev, the Russian who made a lot of headlines during this 2019 U.S. Open, making it all the way to the final and pushing Rafael Nadal to a fifth set after being down two sets to love. We got a chance to talk with Blair about Daniel Medvedev and all the things that Blair has done in the tennis world from playing to hosting to being one of the premier hosts and MCs on court in tennis in the United States and around the world. A fun conversation that we had with Blair Henley about the 2019 U.S. Open and all things tennis as well. So two wonderful interviews, John Tomlinson, football coach, Blair Henley, tennis host and tennis presenter. So sit back, relax, enjoy this podcast. I know you will, and we will see you at the very end of the show. There may be no more glorious position in organized team sports than that of quarterback. And I'm sure that many people, yourself included, dreamed about being the person under center to throw the game-winning touchdown pass with a minute to go in the Super Bowl or dreaded making that last-second mistake and costing your team the victory. I am joined right now by someone who will help you a whole lot in making sure that you will throw that last-second touchdown pass, if not on the football field, on your phone. I am joined right now on the A Lot of Sports Talk podcast by a coaching veteran of over 25 years in football, from high school to college to the NFL-level coaching quarterbacks. As recently as 2017, I'm joined by Coach John Tomlinson. And first of all, Coach, thank you so very much for joining us and taking some time out right before you go to the West Coast and join up uh, with the Oakland Raiders. Uh, Thank you so very much for joining us. And um, it sounds as if you are sitting on some fire right now. You are the person who created the quarterback equalizer that is available now on the App Store. Apple Store and Google Play. Right now, the Apple Store and Google Play. And tell me a little bit about the quarterback equalizer. All right. So what a great game to help a quarterback train his eyes and develop his internal clock. I use those two phrases so often now because my original objective in 2007 was to help a quarterback that I was coaching at that time, extremely strong arm kid in Virginia. And I used to develop PowerPoints (laughs) and animate X's and O's on the PowerPoint and go from slide to slide. And at the end of the slide, he would watch the play, develop, animate, and then we'll go to the next slide. Hey, man, what's the what's the answer? What's the coverage? And from 2007, seven years later, after winning a second state championship at Cedar Hill High School, uh, I was blessed to. And that's be, in Texas, correct? Exactly. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so I left Virginia, <clears throat> went to Texas, and was blessed to have another quarterback to quarter to coach Avery Davis. And Avery was going into his junior year after this state championship. And he was a smart kid. And so we're in the classroom uh, in early January or well, going from the, the December state championship going into January. And I'm trying to figure out ways to help him develop his self. And I'll never forget the head coach walks into the coaching office one day and he says, Coach, man, whatever tools you need 
to do your job. You just tell me. It's an open check. And he started laughing. and and But he was serious. He meant it because he knew I was committed to helping these kids. And I wanted to help us get to back to a state championship. So I looked at him and I said, Coach, I haven't seen anything in particular that's going to help. I want to develop my own tool. And so I took a lot of streaming videos because I already had a decent skill set in understanding how to manipulate video and put different things in editing form and then present it to the quarterbacks in our quarterback room. So I would take a play, watch the quarterback get to the top of his drop, fade the video so he couldn't see the end of it. Splice the video, put another uh, piece in the video, watch the coverage, and then fade it again, and then it would be the answer. So that was kind of the birth of the quarterback equalizer at the time. Why is it so important for a quarterback to be able to diagnose a coverage and in the short amount of time you want to have the quarterback diagnose the coverage? Because that pretty much is the premise of the game for a quarterback to use his eyes to identify a defense immediately. Yes. Why is that? So the basic reason quarterbacks sometimes, and I saw this even when I was in Cleveland in 2017, we're talking about NFL quarterbacks. And, you know, in the NFL, they do a lot of exotic things sometimes. They can, And then on top of being exotic, they can hold in a drop in their coverages a lot longer because the hashes are narrow. They're not as wide as Texas high school, which is co- collegiate hashes. It's the same. So they don't have to tip their hand as often in the pros. So a quarterback has to be patient. That first drop, maybe going into the, the next drop step in their, in their drop, in the play, they have to be able to identify the coverage because sometimes the coach may say, hey, if it's too high, we're working here. If it's one high, we're working the back side of the concept. So they have to be able to develop their eyes to look at the top of the defense. Uh, and we're not talking about blitz right now. We're not talking about other things that they see in the box. But when they start that play, they need to have some general recognition. And so the game just helps develop eye behavior. Once again, talking with John Tomlinson, currently with the Oakland Raiders, will be with the Oakland Raiders during training camp. He's had experience coaching quarterbacks as recently as 2017 and 20 years uh, coaching quarterbacks. So now you have this concept of the game that you want to get out to consumers, specifically quarterbacks. But is this something that would play well with football fans who may not and are trying to live out their quarterback dreams, and uh, maybe it's they're not either athletic enough or don't choose to play sports, or uh, they're at the point where they may be over the hill uh, in terms of age to play uh, uh, college athletics or professional, but it's something that they love to dissect. Maybe uh, compare that to the analytics of baseball and being involved in baseball, but not really be in the game of baseball. You're seeing that in baseball. You're seeing that in other sports. It's almost the same way with analytics, but without all of those numbers, but involves numbers. So would you say that it's a fair comparison oh, uh, to do. the baseball, basketball analytics yes, as well? Yes, I do. I believe I think it's very helpful for people who just want to understand the game better. So now you have an appreciation for what that quarterback is really going through on a Sunday or Saturday afternoon or Friday night game. 
So now they're watching the game, and you don't see as much from the press box. However, you still have a general idea because sometimes the camera only allows you to see a, you know, maybe you might get the safety, but you can count the box. You can look at the screen and say, hey, I see seven. I know there's two corners. That's that's nine. There's two guys back there. Mm-hmm. And so and then sometimes you can look just by playing the game. You can look at the corners on the screen and watching the game and say, oh, OK, I see his leverage. I see how he's playing his technique. This is probably covered too. And this you mentioned the press box uh, view, which yes. is the view that most uh, consumers right. of football would see on a TV screen compared yeah. to a coach's camera, which I guess they would say the 22, where you see all 22 players. So just the standard uh, screenshot right. and view of a football game where you're watching any football game. Right, exactly. Yeah. So that I think that's helpful. And then there's another view. You have the, the uh, helmet view. And, the, and we're going into the game right yeah. now as if we press uh, uh, that app. Exactly. Uh, so there's a helmet view. And yes. take me through the helmet view in that game. Okay, so the helmet view is extremely important for a quarterback because he's inside the helmet. So Last have, I heard, yeah. <laughs> so you have the ability to swipe your screen with your finger. You can look to the left. You can look to the right. You can look down the middle, and you can see hey, how many safeties do I have and where are they lined up. Are they inside of 10 yards? Are they deeper than 10? Uh, is one deeper than 10 and is one down inside of 10? Oh, and does one move at the snap of the ball when I hike it? And does one go to the middle of the field? So these are all clues in, in a quarterback recognizing, okay, I know what this is. This is cover three. This is three buzz. And, and there's so many different terms. Uh, so that is a way that they can understand it better just by looking where are the safeties? What's their location? What's their alignment? And then the swiping, you get to find how how's the corner playing? Is he off? Meaning is he deep, backed off of the receiver, or is he close? Is he closer to the receiver? So I give a, a rule in the game. It's called weld. With eyes, leverage, and depth. And the the cool thing about the game is when a user purchases a coverage package, it unlocks their ability to play in the season mode of the game. When you say a coverage package, this is from the defense's perspective, the coverage of the defense. Yes, exactly. That you're going up against. Exactly. So in the game, when you purchase a package of coverages, you get a, you could say it's a night school teacher. <laughs> <laughs> you, you get a virtual coach. So when you download the game, the game is downloaded for free. When you purchase the coverage package, you now have access to a coach. Every time you go into the game, you go into the quarterback room or the virtual coach's quarterback room, and now he takes you onto a whiteboard and teaches you every coverage that you purchased. And if you have any questions, you can rewind the video and play it again, and he just gives you the ins and outs, the strengths and weaknesses. And as in coaching, we call them tells. You know, those those things that those subtle things. Hey, when he aligns like this, this is what he's going to do. This is what he's trying to do. Once again, John Tomlinson, a football coach for over 25 years, coaching quarterbacks, the quarterback position for 20 years. And I do want to talk about you mentioned the purchases that one has to make uh, for the uh, video game app, the app. Uh, How many different packages can one purchase? Uh, when downloading the game and wanting to try to understand 
at least every single coverage that a defense can throw at them, or at least the most that they can consume. How many of those packages are there for availability and purchase? Okay, so um, think about this. There's four packages in the game. One is a man package, all right, where they're, they're only um, man coverage concepts. Um, and then there's a zone package where there's you'll get 13 coverages. Then there's a starter package where you get a combination man and zone. So two man. It's two safeties deep, man under coverage. There's a cover six, which is also a combination coverage. And so if you purchase the starter or the man pack, each of those are $7. The all zone package is 20 bucks. And then if you want every coverage in the game, that's twenty nine ninety nine. You'll never have to pay for anything else again. You now have access to all of these coverages and this virtual coach who teaches you all of them and gives you an understanding. On top of that, now you can play rookie, which is high school, collegiate, which is obviously the college game, and then all pro. It's professional football. And in each of those levels, the game gets a little bit more intense, a little bit more complex. You have to answer a question. When you're in the game, hey, what's the coverage? Just like the streaming video I created in 2014. But now it's more hands-on. You pick your play, you snap the ball, you drop back, boom, what's the coverage? So each level, the amount of time that you have to answer that question is less. Again, talking with John Tomlinson, assistant coach in the game of football for over 25 years, coaching quarterbacks for 20 years, uh, and will be joining the Oakland Raiders uh, later on this summer. I do want to talk about the gameplay that you mentioned and the three levels, uh, uh, the rookie and the collegiate and the all-pro, and I'm sure a lot of people would think back to the days when uh, people would play college football on PlayStation and Madden as well. They had uh, those levels as well. And those simulated actual football situations from the downs to playing offense and defense. Here, I believe you're only playing offense. You are just the quarterback all game. So how did you map out these each and every scenario for football, especially for this app, especially when you're not playing defense? Yeah, I love that. That's a great question. Okay, so... Because this game is so designed for quarterbacks and trying to help them develop pattern recognition in that with their eyes, I didn't want this to make this just a game. I wanted to make this a tool, a cognitive tool for a quarterback. So one thing I do understand, and, and this just comes from experience and time coaching, most formations, a defense lines up according to down and distance and formation. So in the game, depending on where you are on the field also, what the down and distance is and what the formation is, you're going to get a certain coverage and a defense to it. And so I wrote, it, wrote an algorithm to, you know, help the user. Now, they don't understand that, but that's how I simulated the defenses. You get in the red zone, you're going to get a small package of coverages. You're not going to get prevent when you're on the eight-yard line. <laughs> you might not get a lot of cover too down there either. And this is just based on your experience yeah. and experience that other coaches have have had that you know that when and a I've certain team them. is at the 20, 15, 10 yard line going in, exactly. that their playbook is cut. 
Exactly. Exactly. So if I'm coming out, uh, I'm on the four-yard line, minus four-yard line, I have to go 96 yards, the defense is probably going to give me some different looks depending on what my formation is, what I choose. And so that's the same thing. So here's the cool thing. So I'm I'm off of offense. Uh, I'll get asked a question in the game. Hey, do you want to punt? It's fourth down. And it's fourth and 16. I, I say yes, it'll kick it, it, it'll punt it to the computer. The computer's drive will be simulated. I don't want the user to play the game and fall asleep or get bored because I know once they get bored, they're going to turn this thing off. So when they get the ball, the defense that is, or the computer, when the computer gets the ball, it'll simulate their drive. And so you'll look at the drive chart between plays. You'll see, oh, okay, the, the computer had an 11-place, 67-yard drive, and they kicked the field goal. And then you'll see the ball getting kicked back to you. You'll see a, a partial kick return. The screen to fade. It'll go back to that same drive chart. And now it's your ball again. Is there a score, a time it shows during the game? That. You mentioned the field goal. Yeah, so, so okay. it, it'll walk you through all that. You just don't see what the computer's doing. You just get their drive summary. Okay. So the drive summary page, just like you see with ESPN, you'll see a drive summary if you go to ESPN dot uh, com on a Saturday and you can't catch the game but you're curious to see what happens. You're at a wedding and you're on your phone sitting in the back and you're like, Man, I wonder who's winning the game and you're looking you're looking at the drive chart. Yeah. Maybe you don't have that subscription where you can watch it on your phone. Your girlfriend will get mad because you're watching the game. <laughs> so you just look at the summary. So that's essentially what it is for when you don't have the ball. When you have the ball, you are driving the ball. You control everything that the quarterback has control of. And it's just decisions. And so you make a bad decision in the game, anything could happen. Sack, interception, uh, penalty, anything. You make a good decision, the drive keeps moving. You're moving the ball. If you get in the hole where you're chasing points in this game, you have to depend on that defense of yours. And you're not sure what's going to happen. Because <laughs> maybe your defense can't hold water. And, but it's good for you just as the quarterback in the game. Because you know when you get the ball back, you have to sharpen your awareness. What are they playing? I see one safety. The corners are tight. Is this cover one? So that's the that's the thing that we're trying to do with the game. John Tomlinson, an assistant coach in the game of football for a quarter century, coaching uh, quarterbacks for 20 years. And uh, sorry to say quarter of a century makes you sound as if you're old. You're far from it. Okay. <laughs> and uh, I'm sure – um, you told me not too long ago that you had the launch party uh, for this game. I would love to know uh, the reception that you've gotten, not only the launch party, but how many other people involved in the game of football, former high school players, college players, professional players, have been able to consume at least a demo of it and their reaction. So take me through that launch party and when it was, because I believe it wasn't not too long ago. Yeah, so it was two weeks ago in Raleigh, North Carolina. And since, you know, I've had this internship, I was leaving the state and had a really good opportunity to sit with some high school coaches during the launch party, one of them in particular. His name is Coach Bransom at Southeast Raleigh High School. Awesome guy. He gave me a story. He told me a story about his quarterback. He said, Coach, two weeks ago, my quarterback started in our seven-on-sevens. And initially, he struggled a little bit. He got a hold of your game. He started playing. And he hadn't thrown an interception since he started 
playing the game. He said he came to him one day while they were practicing. Coach, coach. That was three buzz week. So I threw it to the strong side. I threw it away from that, that roll down safety. All right, man. Okay, that's good. That's not what we call it, but okay. And so I started laughing because he understood in the game some of the coverages, they're generic names, and every coach most may give a definition to a coverage, something other than what the general term is. But he understood it, and he understood that his player understood what he saw in the game. He said he hasn't been making a lot of mental errors because now his eyes are somewhere else. Then he's now looking at, okay, what's the coverage? And then he's working to his progression. And so he's basing it off of the rules that the coach has given him. But it's the first place he goes now is, man, are they one high? Are they two high? Are they inside of 10 yards? And so the kid has made a lot of improvements. So that was positive. You know, I talked to some other coaches. I had a chance to be a part of the NFL quarterback summit. So I was invited. I was a participant in Atlanta, Georgia. When was this? This was the 24th and the 25th of June. Okay. Awesome. Just awesome. So I've had, I had a chance to meet some great people, man. I met Eric Bieniemy, who's the OC at the Kansas City Chiefs. I sat with him and played the game a little bit. He said, man, you got a great thing here. I really like this. Uh, showed some other coaches, Sean King, uh, University of South Florida, I believe, and he really enjoyed it. Harold Goodwin, who is the O-line coach for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And so I was fortunate because I spent some time around some guys there that enjoyed the game and they understood its importance. And so that made me feel good, like, hey, I know I'm on the right track with this. Um, so that that was a it was a blessing to be a part of that fraternity of coaches. Some were OCs, some were quarterback coaches. But it was just good to be in a room with other guys in the profession uh, where I can share something that I've had a chance to build. So the offensive coordinator of the team that had the best record in the AFC <laughs> – and the quarterback of that team, winning the MVP, sat down, watched your game, played your game. He didn't play it. He watched oh, me He play. watched you play it. Yeah. Okay, that had to be yeah. something, given, oh. especially, of course, Eric Bianmi being a great player yeah. uh, at the University of Colorado and then in, in the professional level, yes. to have an offensive coordinator of an NFL team, something that I'm sure that you have salivated oh, yes. <laughs> for that position man see the game see you play the game and tell you you're man. sitting on fire yes it was encouraging for me i i really appreciate that time because it's all about access and when you get a chance to meet good people like that you definitely want to share with them hey this is what i'm working on um so i i was able to pass some information on to some guys and I'm just waiting to hear back from them but that was a good starting point. Mm -hmm. It's a good starting point. Once again, John Tomlinson joining us on the A Lot of Sports Talk podcast, talking about the Quarterback Equalizer, the new app that you can get uh, on Apple and Google as well. Yes. Uh, so please download that if you are a fan of football and have enough space on your iPhone or Droid. Uh, this had to be a massive undertaking <laughs> in terms of production. And I can only imagine and try to wrap my head around what it was like from the beginning of when you told yourself, this is my vision, to that launch party in Raleigh, North Carolina. What was that production like? Who did you end up hooking up with in terms of helping to execute the game the way you wanted to? And... 
the damage to the wallet as well. Mm. That had to be uh, something as well. And along those lines, uh, when talking about the production of it, were there points during that production where you thought, oh, I don't know, like mm. this, this may not happen. So take me through the production and the peaks and valleys during it. Okay. So I would say the first valley probably was 2015, 2016. And the reason that was a valley was because, you know, obviously cash. Um, when I realized I couldn't stream video because I would get sued beyond belief because everyone owns this film. And I, I really couldn't find a partner, a willing school to allow me to use their film for, for it. That's when I realized I'm going to have to animate this. We're going to have to write a game. And so while I was in Cleveland, uh, early in my uh, internship before I stayed full-time during the season, my father had passed away, and this was uh, July. And so that was a blow. That was difficult for me. Um, but my father, he he left me some some money to be able to help this thing move forward. And I realized at that time – I was going to use that money to invest in myself because I know he would have wanted that. Um, so I I initially hired a company out of India, and it just didn't go well. They didn't really understand the requirements, and it, but it taught me something. And I made that move to, you know, go in another direction quickly so we can hire a better company. And I guess how much money did you invest in that first oh, company? Man, you have 20, to pull the plug. 20 grand. And that, that was a heartbreaker. And what I realized, um, I I had to go to a different model. So one of my investors told me, hey, you need to use Upworks. Upworks is a company that kind of has access to different development teams. And the work gets done first, then they get paid. And so when I went with that model, we hired a new company. But before we hired, we interviewed maybe seven and the company was overseas because I couldn't afford to bring a team in in the States because it was just too expensive. I didn't have the budget for it. So I hired another group out of India. But when we interviewed them, man, they did a great job. RV Technologies, they did a great job of telling us what they could do. And then they they actually sh showed us, hey, is this what you want? We would give them information. They would digest it. And then... That helped us understand, hey, this is the team we're going to go with. Was it easy? Absolutely not. We didn't know we had to work through some communication barriers. I even visited before I took a coaching job at North Carolina Central in January 2019. I flew to India, visited the team right after Christmas in 2018, stayed probably a about a week, and I think that helped. But what also helped is I learned how to overcome some communication barriers. And so – they work very well with just verbal communication. So I would record things on my phone while I was playing the game on a desktop, which is a test version, and that helped them. And by the time we rolled into February and March, we were really starting to get, you know, make some real progress. So you mentioned that you work with uh, creators and designers from India. Uh, I'm sure you had to have a few conversations about. Uh, American football and its Absolutely. rules compared to uh, the knowledge of those in India who may very well know uh, the rules of American football, or you can prove me wrong. I'm just thinking to myself, that's more of a cricket 
yes. soccer uh, <laughs> uh, stronghold uh, in India. So yes. uh, the language that you had to speak to them and then you had to see that they were executing the language you were speaking. How seamless or tough was that or was it somewhere in the middle? It's somewhere in the middle. So, so what I learned in the beginning well, it was, and it was on me. It was my fault. I was taking everything like a coach trying to put in the whole playbook. And what I had to do was, hey, take take my time. Just work on three-step. <laughs> work on two basic run plays. And, and I had a great program manager. He runs a company called Blue Heat in Atlanta. So he was on, on my side of the development house. He was part of my team here in the States. I had the, had the team from India, RV Technologies, in Chandigarh. So on my side, he would also help speak with the team because he was a part of one of the first Madden or NBA, no, NBA 2K, or NBA Live, one of those games. But he worked for Sega, and he was uh, part of one of the first uh, program managers or developers for that product. So he really had an understanding of how games are developed. And even though that was a while ago, the guy was sharp. He's, he's sharp, not was sharp. And so he really helped me. And one thing he really helped me with was less is more, John. Four bullet items. If if there are ten problems, let's just work these four. Let's get these corrected first, and then we'll come to the next six. So I learned patience over time. I had to take what I learned in coaching and bring it into this part of my life, learning how to be a professional uh, in this environment also. It, it was never an issue in reference to communicating with them uh with understanding expectation, it was just a matter of helping them manage what's most what's most important right now. So you're coaching at this time in Cleveland, maybe a little bit before that, in in high school as well, before that, and you're working with developers in India where we're in Texas right now, in Mount Pleasant, Texas, doing this interview the time difference is about almost, what, 13? 11 and a half hours. 11 and a or half hours. 11, yeah. And they don't have daylight savings. So when when the clocks change, <laughs> now we're staying up <laughs> an hour later. Okay, so I'm glad you asked that. So initially in Cleveland, I wasn't developing dealing with this team. This was the first team okay. in Cleveland. When I came home, we started interviewing a second team and, and removing the first team. When I first came home, I was writing requirements probably for 90 days sitting at my kitchen table. And I looked across to the couch and I took a record of how many times I sat on that couch in 90 days. And it may have been three because I spent all my time at that kitchen table. And the reason I did was because I realized I need to organize my requirements more and that's not why the first team didn't last they just really only you know they just didn't understand the project we thought they did and that was my fault but when i hired the second team the requirements were put in place everything was ready to go so when we gave it over to them obviously they have to massage it so at that time i was coaching at a 5a high school after i came home from cleveland in dallas so i'm coming home in the evening Three nights a week, maybe twice, we have meetings. So the meeting may start at midnight my time, and it would be 9.30 or 10 a.m. their time. So we would have meetings. Sometimes I would get up in the morning, 7 a.m. my time. 
I'm on the phone with them and it might be 5 p.m., 6, 6, something like that with them. Uh, and then when I took the job at North Carolina Central, same thing, two or three days a week. I would always uh, check my phone in the middle of the night if I had to go to the bathroom just to make sure that I get an email because we would always have different communication things via email that we would speak through. And then I would respond. Sometimes I would just open my computer up at 2 in the morning because they had a question. I didn't want to slow their development down. And so from from high school to college, yes, I was just managing. When I was in Cleveland during the season. And it's the Cleveland Browns. Yep, I'm I'm still doing requirements in my extended stay. It could be maybe midnight, 1 in the morning. And then I'm getting up at 5 to go back into the office. So, yeah. In each of those experiences, I had to just find balance and manage it. So it it worked out. Obviously, it did now. Yeah, obviously, (laughs) it's in my phone. (laughs) uh, Not that I'm the be-all, end-all of people who are so cool that if I have your app, then you have made it. Uh, And he is John Tomlinson next to me, an assistant coach uh, in football, the game of football, American football, uh, for 25 years, 20 uh, with quarterbacks. And I have to say American football, since you just talked about uh, your experience with uh, developers in India who are used to football as in soccer, not American football. Uh, Did you have to, at one point, go to India? Yes, so I did. I went to India. In actually December 2018, and I came back January 2nd, and I hit the ground recruiting as soon as I got back. I think I went the day I flew back. I probably only had one hour of sleep. It took me almost a month just to get my body back, but it was worth it. Um, When I did go to India, I believe that we bridged a lot of communication because I was there. I can explain some things to them in detail that... I probably couldn't through a Skype because all our meetings would be on through Skype unless we had yeah. that email. So that was so worth it. That was critical. Just that time with them helped tremendously. But our communication improved as the project progressed. So now that we have this first version out, you know, we're looking to release a second version in January of 2020, February 2020. And now that the baseline is in, I'm excited. I'm not going to talk about what that's going to be, but man, it'll pale in comparison to what I'm putting out right now. It is without a doubt that one of the best ways for any sports fan to end their summer is to head to New York City and specifically head to the United States Open, the final major in tennis in 2019 and the final major in any year, of course. And it's always a good time to come to New York City, let alone what time of the year it is. And on the A Lot of Sports Talk podcast right now, we're joined by someone who makes it to New York City every August and makes it to Melbourne every January and makes it to Paris every spring and to London every summer. One of the premier tennis hosts in the country, Blair Henley, joins us on the A Lot of Sports Talk podcast. First of all, Blair, thank you so very much for the time. I apologize for uh, my listeners having their jealousy rise here uh, talking about you being at all the majors. 
By the way, it's great seeing you again. How are you? I'm great. It's so good to be here chatting with you. Last day of the U.S. Open. And just to clarify, I sadly don't get to go every year to those other three majors, okay. but I have been. So you could bring the jealousy down a notch. Right, just one <laughs> slight little notch. Uh, being at Arthur Ashe Stadium, uh, the biggest uh, stadium of any uh, in the world that's exclusively for tennis for those that have not experienced Arthur Ashe Stadium compared to center court at Wimbledon compared to uh, Suzanne Longland uh, uh, in Paris uh, what is being an Ash Stadium like just your experience just being an Ash Stadium whether it's completely empty or completely full I think the first thing that gets you is just the sheer size of it the first time I saw it really I, I thought to myself wow tennis is going to fill a 23,000-seat stadium, and as somebody who's loved tennis since I was a kid, that made me so incredibly happy. The roar when there is a big point or when, you know, whoever they wanted to win ends up winning the match, it is like nothing you've ever experienced until you've heard it in person. Once again, Blair Henley joining us here at the 2019 U.S. Open, tennis presenter, tennis host. Uh, you do a number of on-court interviews, and you're an MC at a lot of the show courts uh, here at the U.S. Open. And one interview that you got to do this year at the 2019 U.S. Open, I think lasted all of one question when you interviewed uh, Juan Ignacio Londero, uh, who won his match, uh, but English is not his first language, and English is a language that he has yet to master. Uh, but it was a very, very wonderful and cute interview where he just acknowledged that his English isn't the best, but did uh, answer your question. When you get those assignments and you are interviewing players and you are talking to players uh just what are the first few thoughts that you have when you get ready to talk with someone who is making his or her career uh in tennis and being able to present his or their story uh to the fans that are on the court and uh, to the fans in the world I think the important thing is giving them a chance to share that story. I really look at my job as a way to introduce fans to players they might not know quite as well. That Juan Ignacio Londero interview was a perfect example. Usually a player who doesn't have strong English skills will tell me that before the interview and say, just one question or keep it simple, and I'm happy to oblige, of course. He said nothing of the sort. Uh, <laughs> I asked him my question. He gave me his answer. It was not the answer to my question, but it was the best possible answer. Pretty much said, hello, congratulations to Sam Query, who he had just beaten. I'm very happy, and goodbye. And that little moment, though, there were so many fans. It took them a second. There was, there was dead silence, and then once the fans realized he was done talking, it was just this huge roar. And I think anyone who was in the stadium that day will remember Juan Ignacio Londero going forward because that was such a sweet moment. And so that's how I look at my job as an on-court host. In those post-match interviews, I try to ask questions that allow them to share their personality. There was dead silence in the stands, but there can't be dead silence with you after that. Did you feel, did a part of you feel what just happened? For, for a hot second. Uh, then I announced to the crowd he was playing Novak Djokovic next. They all went wild. And I think most likely there were more fans cheering him on in that Novak match than there would have otherwise been. Absolutely. Uh, one of the players that you also got to interview on court uh, during the 2019 U.S. Open 
is one of the finalists in the men's singles at the U.S. Open, Daniel Medvedev uh, of Russia. And he is someone that we wrote about when we were in Montreal uh, and his um, habits of eating a lot of sugar. Um, he is someone who, I guess, during this tournament has been a magnet, a lightning rod for a lot of love and a lot of uh, controversy uh, as well from uh, being fine for a gesture that he made to the crowd to uh, egging on the crowd sometimes, uh, lots of times during matches. Um, I almost compare him, I actually like him, I compare him almost as a cross between Tony Montana um, Scarface in that scene where it's like, say hello to the bad guy, right? And a James Bond villain, you know, just very cunning, very talented, but could be a little off <laughs> as well. But I like him. Uh, what was your experience interviewing Daniel Medvedev and just your overall thoughts about uh, the finalists, one of the finalists uh, in men's singles in 2019 at the U.S. Open? I was lucky to actually be in Cincinnati as well, uh, where he won, and talk to him after that win. Again, I think everybody kept expecting him to be so tired that he at some point hit a wall. He has not hit that wall yet, but it was really interesting actually talking to him in Cincinnati. He, in a one-on-one setting, is very agreeable, very knowledgeable. You can tell he is intelligent. Uh, A short anecdote, he was telling me about how he used to drink and party a lot, then realized that was not helpful to his tennis game and pretty much quit cold turkey because I asked in Cincinnati, how are you going to celebrate? And he said, maybe a glass of champagne, but I don't go as hard as I used to. But again, he has a maturity in some ways. And then there's the other side where you may see, okay, some immaturity, but he seems to be very aware of the full circle of emotions that he kind of conjures from fans, which I find to be very interesting to watch. He seems to be actually in control of what's happening, even when it seemed in particular here at the U.S. Open, completely out of control. Uh, but I will take you back to his second round win over Hugo Delian. It happened on grandstand. He won in four sets against a Bolivian player. It would have been a massive upset for him. I was courtside for the last set and a half because he, Daniel Medvedev, could barely stand up, cramping literally loading his mouth with gels and salts and electrolytes on the changeovers. And you know, you've seen players camping before. It generally doesn't get better. So I'm thinking after he loses the third set, he's either going to retire or Delian's going to win this quickly. Wrong again. Uh, (laughs) Daniil Medvedev gets the win in the second round. He's into a straight, uh, fourth straight final. Uh, But his post-match interview again was just very insightful. He's like kind of laughing it off. I could, yeah, sure. I can barely stand, but I've had a great summer why not keep winning? And that's kind of the attitude that he's had here in New York, and it's worked out pretty well for him. Is his attitude good for tennis? Absolutely. Absolutely. In, in my opinion, I think players with a little bit of swag, I think players that create interest, whether or not it's love or hate, I think that is good for tennis. In particular, players who are maybe seen outside of the small tennis circle. of you know we, we all know the hardcore tennis fans and the people who work in tennis. But when a player becomes known outside of that circle – that is what can launch them into true superstardom. So, again, and it could be because people love him or the reverse, but I personally love it. I do, too. Uh, Blair Henley joining us, tennis host, uh, one of the premier voices in tennis uh, uh, in 2019 and in years past as well. Uh, On the women's side, at least in women's singles, uh, the champion Bianca Andreescu of Canada, the first major winner in women's singles uh, and men's singles in Canada. 
respect to Gabriela Dabrowski and Daniel Nestor and others who have won uh, in doubles. But such a monumental moment for the country of Canada to have Bianca Andreescu win a major, defeat Serena Williams in the final in a very roller coaster uh, match as well. Uh, have you gotten a chance to speak to Bianca? And if you have or haven't, or if you have, share your experience with Bianca and what you think her win against Serena Williams and Serena Williams being in the final uh, again means to the sport, means uh, to women's tennis to have um, Canada in singles be represented with a champion in Bianca. Yeah, you know, Bianca's case is interesting for me because she has risen so fast. Usually the players who are kind of on their way up, I'll get them on the second or third court at Indian Wells or something like that. She has risen so fast that she has completely skipped the courts that I have been on, and she is on Arthur Ashe Stadium. So she so is her Grand Slam count that you haven't gotten a chance to interview her on court? I have not. Amazingly, it has not happened yet. I'm hoping it will happen in the future. But I have to say, I again, I said I love a little swag. She's got the little bit of swag. I do think probably over time there are going to be some people who don't love that. I personally think it's the reason why she's going to win multiple slams because we've really kind of been hungry for a player, in particular on the women's side. Obviously, the men are still kind of waiting for that next gen to actually show up at the very top. But on the women's side, when you think of an Angie Kerber or a Garbine Muguruza or players who won the majors but didn't feel quite comfortable with the attention and the expectations that came after that. I think Bianca, not only does she feel comfortable, she just loves it, absorbs it, and reflects it back out. So I think she's going to do some damage. Serena Williams came up just a little bit short in playing Bianca and trying to win her 24th major in singles to tie Marga Smith court's record. Uh, But she was in the final. She was dominant for most of the tournament and then ran into someone who was just as dominant, just as talented at the moment uh, in Bianca and someone who was ready for that moment. Uh, What words come to your mind when you think about Serena Williams? I mean, she's a champ. She has a resume that it's going to be tough for anyone to ever equal. I I do hope that we can kind of wrap our heads around the fact that that 24 number may not be a hard bar. Uh, if, If you go back in history, Margaret Court, the competition she faced in Australia was not the competition that was being faced throughout the rest of the world and the rest of the slams. And so... Again, it's the number, and we are obsessed with records in sports. Uh, But if Serena decided today that she wanted to hang it up, have another baby, have time with her family, I think she would be celebrated and loved just as much. I don't think that her legacy is going to be tarnished in any way because she didn't get to 24, she didn't get to 25 beyond that. So great if she does, but I also, you want people to be, you want somebody who has accomplished so much to be happy. And if this process becomes kind of miserable in, it didn't happen again, let's go grind and try, you know, if that, if that process becomes not fun for her, I hope she will prioritize quality of life over that number. Once again, Blair Henley joining us on the A Lot of Sports Talk podcast. We are in the bowels of Louis Armstrong Stadium. And right behind us in the room that we're in, you are uh, presenting on court uh, for the uh, wheelchair finals in doubles uh, right now that's going on. And you've been uh, on court telling some of the stories of some of these wonderful athletes. Um, And I don't think that a whole lot of people outside of tennis diehards really get to 
appreciate and experience and know about some of the players in wheel, in the wheelchair uh, tournaments. Uh, any specific stories or things that come to mind uh, when you are on the court uh, as the uh, athletes, the uh, wheelchair athletes, are out on the court playing tennis? Just what comes to your mind and any uh, stories that uh, you might uh, want to share about just some wonderful, wonderful men and women and athletes uh, in the wheelchair division? I think when people think of wheelchair tennis, they think of the inspiration of it all. But if you've watched it, you know that they are absolutely athletes like any of the rest of the players who come out on the court here at the U.S. Open. They are so fit. They have such endurance. And the points are fantastic. I would highly recommend anyone who is at the U.S. Open toward the end of the fortnight Get a grounds pass and come watch some wheelchair tennis. You can also catch some juniors as well. We had the boys' junior final, junior singles final on Armstrong just before this wheelchair match. And uh, Jonas Foritek from the Czech Republic took out Emilio Nava of the United States. I have, on these junior courts or on during junior play at the U.S. Open, I've seen Felix Ojealiasim. Stefano Tsitsipas, Sofia Kennan, Amanda Inesimova, Coco Goff, they have all come through these courts in junior play at the U.S. Open. So if you truly want to see the next gen today, I would recommend come out and get a grounds pass during the second week of the U.S. Open. Uh, once again, Blair Henley joining us. And uh Thank goodness for us that we got a chance to meet you by chance uh, a few years ago uh, here at the uh, U.S. Open and uh, being someone who is one of the voices of, I think, at the time when we met Court 17. Uh, and then now uh, you're at Louis Armstrong. You've been in the grandstand uh, as well. Some of the sh- main show courts uh, at the U.S. Open. Um, how did you come to the point where you are now a premier voice in tennis. I don't believe that that was something that you had in mind when you first got into school and college. How did you go from what you thought you were going to be on in terms of your track in your career to the point where you're talking to me um, as a fellow journalist? Well, I was a double major in college in economics and managerial studies. Definitely decided not to take that route. Uh, Kind of tried to figure it out a little bit after school. I taught some tennis. Uh, Wasn't totally sure which direction I wanted to go. I always loved writing. Uh, So I actually started off doing some writing for uh, a tennis website, worldtennismagazine.com. And from there... I had an opportunity to get hired full-time at tennisnow.com and they actually have a large YouTube following as well. Uh, they do bi-weekly news shows, countdown shows, and that is where I kind of got my feet wet in front of the camera. It's also where I, I ended up covering all four slams for them and met a lot of the fantastic people who work in tennis. And then in 2015, my friend Nick McCarville, who a lot of people in tennis know, he was the MC on Court 17 in 2014, and he had a job with USA Today that year and said, hey, you mind if I put your name in? And I was like, not at all. I don't think they'll hire me, but sure. And uh, perhaps they were desperate. I don't know. But they gave me a shot uh, sight unseen in 2015. I've learned since then stadium hosting is completely different than on-camera work. It's, it's much more interactive. Warming up the crowd is a skill that I've had to develop. Um, so there are definitely some challenges that you kind of have to learn as you go. I've certainly – I probably cringe thinking back to – my first year on Court 17, but again, thankfully, they have given me room to grow. I now this 
This year I've done some form of either hosting on the court, digital hosting for social media or working on social media or writing. And I believe this is my 10th event this year. So again, super thankful. Never would have thought I would have been doing this, but I absolutely love it. And I think the payoff for me personally is building the relationships with the players. When they see you and they know you and they give you a high five or they offer you a sweaty hug, those are the moments where you really feel like you perhaps get something different out of them in an interview because you have that relationship with them. Is every sweaty hug the same? <laughs> I have I have to say nobody's actually given me the sweaty hug. They just <laughs> messed with me about giving me the sweaty hug, but I have had the Bryan brothers have dripped on me. I'm not very tall. I'm five foot four. So John Isner's hat has dripped all over my arm during interviews. So we, yes, I mean, it is, you never know what you're going to get on the court. Uh, but yeah, sweaty hugs, I welcome them. It, one other thing that was very interesting that you mentioned that you had to work on warming up the crowd. Uh, that's probably tough anywhere with any crowd, let alone a New York City crowd, uh, whether they're local New York City people or tourists or whatnot. Um, how do you work on, or how did you work on warming up the crowd? Did you, uh, listen, did you listen to DJ Khaled and other DJs uh, <laughs> warm up crowds? And uh, I, I kid, but, you know, sure. yeah, how do you work on warming up a crowd and being better at warming up a crowd? At least for those who might, at the very least, have some sort of either public speaking fear who might be listening to this or whatnot in terms of being more open in terms of public speaking, which is what you do. I think I just tried different things. Um, I, I kind of got a feeling for what worked and what didn't and the delivery and in what order I should do things. Uh, a for instance, for you is I have found often when you don't necessarily have a full house at the very beginning of the day, when you say, good morning, everyone, and welcome to day one at the 2019 U.S. Open, I often would pause because you would naturally think people might clap after yes. that or say, yay, <laughs> glad I'm here. I have found that that is not always the case. And there is nothing more awkward than pausing and hearing a... <laughs> so I have learned since I just roll right through that. And I make it very clear when I want a reaction from the crowd. I make it very clear. I will say, I'm going to ask you a question and I need to hear your answer loud and clear. Are we ready for some tennis today? And that, <laughs> I found you really really have to, to just give instructions uh, in to kind of sum it up. You have to make sure the crowd knows exactly what to do because you can think what the natural reaction might be doesn't always happen like that. So I've made sure to be very specific. <laughs> well, I give you carte blanche to say after you say good morning to everybody, if you don't hear uh, any uh, response, I said good morning. That's all you have to do. I said good morning. That's what I gotta you, do. You think that'll work in New York? I don't know. I feel like I feel like people might be like, oh, forget no. this. See you later. They'll see you and go, whoa, she's got some smoke. All right, good morning, Blair. Okay, you're the last person they would expect to say something like that. So as congenial and as wonderful as you are, you can you can kick it up and say, hey, What's going on? Good morning, right? Okay, there we go. Now we're I'm ready. filing this away for future reference. We'll see. It's, it hasn't. That's not quite my brand yet, but no. maybe I can steer it in that direction. So if it works, you'll take all the credit. If it doesn't work, then I'll take all the blame, right? Exactly. I'll call you out publicly on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I expect from you. Blair Henley, tennis host, tennis presenter, all-around good person. Thank you so very much for joining us, and uh, continued best of luck and success 
on your travels across the country and across the world and at home in uh, Houston, correct, as well? Or? Fort Worth, Texas. So if you're in the DFW area, come on down. Come Are, visit. You a Horned Frogs fan? Uh, I went to Rice, so go Owls. Ah, go Owls. Do they have like a hand signal like all the other oh, yes. schools? We have the owl, the owl hands. You yep. can't see it. I'm doing <laughs> it right now. Oh, yeah. So that's that's essentially like the Wu Tang sing symbol yeah. that she just did. We'll go, we'll go with that. Okay. It's slightly less hardcore, but we'll, we'll, just, we'll go with that. Just less hardcore. Go Rice. All right, uh, Blair. Thank you so very much for the time, and uh, it's great catching up with you. And uh, enjoy the rest of the two or three hours of the 2019 U.S. Open and the rest of the tennis that you'll get to cover this year and beyond. Thanks so much, Abby. Honestly, does it get any better than interviewing some of the best athletes in the world on court across the world? Uh, we thank our good friend Blair Henley for joining us on this podcast, episode number 39, as well as another good friend of ours, John Tomlinson, the creator of the Quarterback Equalizer, making episode number 39 an epic podcast. So we thank you so very much for listening. And again, next week, episode number 40 of the A Lot of Sports Talk podcast, part two of our interview with Coach John Tomlinson. We will also have another interview interview featured on episode number 40. We're working on that right now. And if you haven't been keeping track of us online and why haven't you, if you haven't, uh, go to a lot of sports talk.com and you will see that we have been covering sports wall to wall, including the pennant chase in Major League Baseball. We have been at City Field live uh, covering the New York Mets in their pursuit uh, for a possible wild card spot. The Los Angeles Dodgers, who won the National League West, just came uh, to City Field. So we covered the Dodgers. We've covered the Mets. We've covered the Oakland Athletics. We've also covered covered the Tampa Bay Rays. Both of those teams we covered in Texas, Oakland, and Tampa, the two teams that are occupying the two wild card spots in the American League and hoping to hold off the Cleveland Indians uh, for one of those spots. So three teams for two spots uh, in the American League wild card chase. We've also covered the WNBA playoffs, our feature story, our cover story right now, uh, game one of the WNBA semifinals, won by the Washington Mystics, the best team team in the WNBA in the regular season over Las Vegas, a fun game, 97-95. We have a photo gallery from that game as well. So pennant chase baseball, WNBA, hockey as well, starting up the NBA around the corner, college football as well. If you are any of those sports or fans of any of those sports, just know that a lot of sports talk has those sports covered. So please follow us on social media. If you go on Instagram, a lot of sports talk. If you go to our Facebook page, a lot of sports talk, you can follow me personally on Twitter at Koiki underscore sport, K-O-I-K-I underscore sport. And a lot of sports talks. Twitter handle is a lost, A-L-O-S-T underscore official. Thank you so very much for joining us for episode number 39 of the A Lot of Sports Talk podcast. My name is Adashina Koiki. We will see you next week for episode number 40, a nice round number. Thank you so very much for joining us. We will see you next week. Take care. Bye-bye.